This is tape number 27 of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. The subject of his message is faith, the best life. And from the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is found in 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And it reads as follows. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Faith, the Best Life. Message number 27 of the series, Faith, from Heaven to Earth. Well, as you have noticed, we have a little different setup uh, because our worship is going to have a different flavor uh, this Sunday. We don't, uh, many of you who go here know that we are in some ways traditionally traditional, but we're not a traditionalized church. That is, we don't have uh, all of the conventional forms. And one of them, uh, one of the things that we don't have is a, is, a, is a standing choir that every Sunday punches out a different anthem that we listen to and so on and so forth, mainly because... Uh, we always think of the congregation as the choir. Uh, our job is always to evoke worship to God, uh, not to put a performance uh, on that people listen to. And so uh, we feel like uh, we want everyone to, to be the part of the choir. However, um, a couple, three times a year, uh, when it, when it uh, sounds uh, like it would really bless God in worshiping a different way, we... Uh, have a, what we call a pickup choir, what I call a pickup choir. You know, a lot of you get, have pickup basketball games. Uh, we have a pickup choir. You know, we'll, we'll just announce, uh, uh, you know, a few weeks in advance of Christmas or Easter or whatever. Hey, anybody want to come sing in a choir? Come on and we'll, we'll uh, see what we can come up with. And so uh, uh, that's exactly what we do during this time. These people uh, um, uh, just wanted to uh, give to the congregation and lead you in worship. Many of these songs you will know, and you are free to sing aloud whenever you want. There will be times when Tim turns around and especially invites us all to sing uh, some of the more traditional hymns. And so at any time, including during the Latin uh, song, anybody who knows Latin, just jump on in, you know. Uh, but this is the thing. We, you know, we are the worshipers. Uh, we are not the audience. God is the audience, and that's what we want to uh, really remind ourselves of. So during this time, uh, let us all focus on God. Would you please pray with me? <coughs> God, we do thank you for hearts that are willing to lead us in, uh, in ways that uh, uh, are, are innovative in the sense that we can now um, refocus our attention on you through a different medium. Um, and Lord, we just pray your blessing upon these people who you have called to lead us in worship. We pray even more that this worship might bless you, might lift you up to your proper place of focus so that all of your people might come to you in a way that um, you deserve. So we love you, God, and we thank you for bringing us here together to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Would you stand as I read our call to worship from Psalm 148? Well, not too shabby for a pickup choir, huh? I mean, not only do we not wear robes, we don't even tuck our shirts in all the way. And God... (laughs) And God still blesses. (laughs) Does Does it ever strike you personally when you look at yourself how little God has to start with before He can do great things? I mean, he just works out of nothing, and he can pull great things out. It's just so wonderful. Well, listen, uh, this is a case in point. Here, I want to talk to you this morning. Um, this is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And we are doing the summary of faith, you'll remember. We have talked about uh, faith as a destination. We have talked about faith as a new identity. We have talked about faith as a connection. And this morning I would like to conclude the summary of faith by talking about faith as an evidence. Faith as an evidence. What do you think of when you think of the evidence of your faith? Starting with verse 14, this is what it says. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Remember two weeks ago I talked about the total new identity we had, the total new life we had. And that faith was that reminder of that new life. We know that we have passed out of death into life because... Now get ready for the evidence here. We love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. I want you to think of death this morning as a closed system. Something where something just stops right there with that thing. And it's over. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What then is the evidence of your faith? Is it what you can get for yourself, or is it what you can give to others. The more I hear people talk about faith, and it disturbs me a great deal that these are church people, the more I hear them using the term faith as a vehicle by which they themselves can be blessed. As a vehicle by which they can improve their own lives. Now, I want to say to you the obvious this morning. God does meet our needs. And a father is always glad to hear how he can help his children. So we need never to be ashamed of the fact that we go to God and say, I'm broke, please fix me, because I can't fix myself. But having said that, does it stop there? Is your faith a closed system? Do you have faith? so that you can improve your life, or do you have faith so that you can sacrifice your life for other people? Lay down your life as Christ laid down his life for us. I think in this case, in our nation at this time, the the most accurate identity of Christianity would be the former. As a matter of fact, I hear people talk about using our faith and demanding things because of our faith, and we have a right because of our faith. It kind of reminds me of that old story about, you've heard this, I'm sure, about the little Catholic boy 
who was uh, praying for something. And he kept praying for it and praying for it. And really was getting frustrated with God because he couldn't get it. You know, God wasn't giving it to him. So I had this thought, you know. It's, he, he, he knew there's a statue of Mary down in the, in the living room. So he ran down, grabbed that statue of Mary, ran back up to his bedroom, stuffed it under the bed. Got down on his knees and he began his next prayer like this. Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. (laughs) Well, you know what? That's funny to us, but I hear adult Protestants doing the same thing. I hear adult Protestants saying, God, you said if I only had faith. You know? Well, I got faith. Where is it? You know, demanding things for themselves, almost out of frustration, because God hasn't blessed them in the way they wanted, God hasn't protected them in the way they wanted, and therefore, what good is my faith? Don't I have to have my needs answered before I can answer anybody else's? No, no, no. Watch. The picture of faith is not that you can't ask for things, but the evidence of faith comes with this question. For whom are you asking? To whom are you asking? If you went through the Navigator's Discipleship course, as as many of us did, remember one of the first uh, scriptures you ever memorized was John 16, 24. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be made full. But the question is, who are you asking for? What are you asking I, as many of you, uh, have a time of devotions every day. The, 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 the scripture for my devotions this morning was um, Philippians chapter 1. I want you to listen to Paul. In the fourth verse, it starts like this. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve things that are excellent and in order and be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ and so on and so forth. Who is the subject of that prayer? Who is, who is, the, who is the beneficiary of that prayer? It is not Paul. It is those he loves. As a matter of fact, he goes on in, in, in the, the, the rest of the chapter to say, you know, sometimes I suffer so much, I just wish I could die. Uh, because to, to, to go to the Lord would be a wonderful thing. But the reason that he wants to stick around is in verse 25. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. The only reason he continues to suffer the hardships of life is because he feels like he can be a benefit to someone else. Let me ask you that question again. Where 
is the evidence of your faith? Is it in the signs and wonders you can conjure up for yourself, or is it so that you can lay your life down for someone else? And if we really care about bringing people to maturity in Christ, where would be the focus of our faith? You see, we belong to a nation that is growing more and more self-centered, more and more focused upon the individual instead of the community, I read a couple of good books this week. One was The Rise of Selfishness in America by James Lincoln Collier. He's a historian, uh, an art historian, actually. And uh, he he traces the development of the last century. In the beginning of the century, he said we were uh, Victorian on our mentality, Victorian uh, uh, as to terms of purity and modesty, and also Victorian in terms of our basic uh, um, reference point was not the individual, but the community. Now, it's not that America has, has not always uh, talked about rugged individualism, but in the development of our country, we have always taken into consideration not just what's good for us, but what's good for everybody else. Well, at the beginning of this century, made their decisions on not just how will this affect me, but primarily on how this will affect my family, my friends, those I love, my community, and even my nation. That's the basis upon which they made their decision. But he traces the, the, the ongoing evolution and the seduction of a culture that more and more raised the, the uh, idol of self. And, and less and less gave thought to other people, to contributing to their lives. And until he said, you know, we actually think today that we have to be thrilled with life before it's a success. That we have to be, that we have to be happy every moment. If somebody uh, is not uh, uh, crazy about their family, if somebody is not wildly thrilled about their work, if somebody doesn't think that they have a gratifying hobby, then somehow they think there's something wrong with them, something wrong with their life. He says that especially in the last 20 years, there has taken a turn in this culture where we have basically isolated ourselves to the point of so many people being alone. You can tell this. He says, Howard, not only has the, the, has the consumption rate um, uh, in America doubled uh, to where we are now in twice as much consumer debt, but we are literally spending twice as much on forms of entertainment that isolate us. Now watch this. While the number of people who are living alone has quadrupled in this nation. And he says that among the greatest manifestations of this now self turned into selfishness is that 40%, now watch this, never in the history of mankind has it been expected or even allowed that children would be raised outside of a nuclear family. But 40% of the children in the United States are born outside wedlock, the vast majority of them intentionally so. 
And he goes on to, to show by statistics that we have no real intention in spending a lot of time raising those kids. Now, all of this says what? I'll tell you what it says, because I've watched this mentality creep into the church. The church begins to think, well, you know, don't I have to be fulfilled? Don't I go to worship in order to get filled up? Don't I go to get my needs met? Don't I go to... to to learn so that I can be smarter, so that, you know, and, and the so that is not, is not right, because the so that ends with us. And remember what I said about death. Death is that which has a stopping place. Death is that cul-de-sac in our lives that eventually will pass away because it was not passed on. The other, uh, another verse in uh, 1 John chapter 2 says this, 1 John 2, 16 and 17 says this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Pride is that which acquires. Pride is that which has a good bottom line. Pride says this, I'm going to get a good deal out of this. Because I'm going to get more than I gave. That's the bottom line of capitalism, and that bottom line is absolutely ruining relationships. Because we go in there and we say, you know what? If I'm not getting more than I am giving, something's wrong. The Bible says just the opposite. If you're not giving more than you're getting, there is no evidence of faith. It says... And the world, I'm sorry, the, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. Also, it's lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. I want to ask you a very hard question this morning. And don't, don't answer it here and walk out and forget about this. I want you to ask yourself all week long this question. Where in my life Am I truly sacrificing for someone else? Where am I giving up something that I'll never get back and I may never get over so that someone else can have what they need? Where am I evidencing my faith like that? Where am I laying down my life for the brethren? You see, many of us in our lives have had people like that. And some of us, while we were growing up, said, you know what? That's a loser of a life. I don't want that kind of life. My dad, some of you had dads, some of you had grandparents like this. My dad came into our family when it was already made. He was 40 years old before he married into a family of uh, a, a wife who had problems, a, you know, a boogerhead kid. Uh, fortunately, my sister was perfect. She's always been perfect, but... He had two problems, you know, walked right in. No, she really has. But here's my dad. Here was his life. My dad came into this, and he was a very quiet man, very hard worker. All his life, he, he worked at a factory job. Many of you had parents like this. And he'd work 10, 12 hours a day making carbon paper, a dirty, disgusting job. Crawling in and out of a carbon paper making machine, he'd come home with big chunks of carbon in his hair, and he'd have to you know, scrub for a long time to get him out, and then he'd have to boil his clothes. Every day, packed his lunch. He'd come home dog-tired. Two 
a basically ungrateful family. Didn't say very much. We didn't say much to him because we were always doing our own thing, trying to have fun someplace, trying to be fulfilled someplace. And every day he'd just watch an hour of TV, you know, bonanza, whatever. Get up the next day, pack his lunch, go to work. All my life I grew up. I looked at his life. And I said, boy, I don't want to be like that when I grow up. I don't want to waste my life in this, some stupid routine job. Just coming home every day like some sort of robot. Getting up and doing the same thing. Well, I want to tell you something. At 47 years old, I've got more than I ever thought I'd have. I've got more than I ever want or ever need. But when I look back, the hero of my life is a guy I didn't want to be like. He didn't have to get anything before he gave. He didn't have to come out ahead. He was like Christ. Where are you living like that? People will call you all kinds of names if you live a life like that. They'll try and pull you out. You know, what are you, a martyr? You know? What are you trying to save the world? What are you trying to manage humanity? If you devote your life to your kids, they'll say, where's your career? What are you going to do for yourself? They'll give you all kinds of problems because that's the mentality of the world. But I want to tell you, the mentality of Christ says this. That somehow, and only faith can see this, nobody sacrifices for long term if they don't have faith. Because you can't see the results with your eyes. But the reality of faith says this. Somehow when you sacrifice, everyone comes out ahead. You included. Even though it looks like you're... And you can't see that. Where are we practicing that? Where are we hearing the message that says, you know what? I know it looks like the country's going down the tubes. I know everything looks like it's a disaster. I don't know how many of you read, by the way, uh, this week's rave section. You ever read that, read that uh, uh, the high school section in the paper? I read it this week. They asked kids a very interesting question. These are high school kids. Where do you think this country will be in 20 years from now? And let me just read some of these. It's, I see it going downhill because of pollution, violence, and race-hating. In 20 years, I see this country in complete chaos. Another said, I think it's ridiculous to ask where the country is going to be in 20 years. All we have to do is look around and see how things are going downhill. Teenage pregnancies are on the rise. I should know. I have a child myself. This is a sophomore. Crime is getting more violent. You can't go to school without worrying about guns. It's terrible now. It's going to get even worse, and no one is doing anything about it. I think this country will burn, says another. There's nothing good about it. It's falling apart. Another person says everything will get worse. There is not one hopeful comment in this. There isn't any ray of hope except for the one Christian kid that was quoted and said, in 20 years I don't think we'll be here because Jesus is coming back. That's the only comment. But you know what? There's an entire nation of people, especially young people, who are longing to see someone with the integrity and the mind of Christ who won't have to come out ahead somewhere, who is willing to love 
without being loved in return. Who's willing to give without getting. Without, without the business deal mentality. Let me tell you one story. Because I just... It just blesses me so much. I, the other book, good book I read this this week was the joy the joy of giving. And there was a there was a story in there about uh, a missionary Anne, whose family went to uh, Chile to serve, and uh, it was a horrendous five years. I mean, they just gave their life in the poorest parts of the country, in the most unrewarding um, uh, ministry you could imagine, always without complaint. Always just out of a sense of, well, this is what God wants us to do. At the end of that time, they were coming home on furlough to their home church. And uh, somebody from their missions organization came to them and uh, said, you know what, I've watched this. You've been such a blessing. We have a missionary training school in Santiago, training college, and I would like to submit your name to be the president of that college. And this guy just burst out in tears because he'd, he'd watched his wife literally uh, you know, she went down there looking 28. She, five years later, looked 40-something. You know, it just had totally wiped out her life. And he just was so glad for his wife. And, his, and, and, and <clears throat> came home and told his wife, and she started crying. You know, they were so glad. They would, be, they would be able to actually live in a house with running water, you know. And on the way back, um, uh, and they're playing fight on the way back, she leaned over her husband and she said one word. Dishwasher, you know, <laughs> and she just grinned. She said, "Yeah, I, I don't want any, you know, any electricity, but I just want that. I'd love to have a dishwasher, you know." And she said, "I, I know we can't buy one down here, but could we try to save enough money during the year of furlough to to get a dishwasher?" And uh, so the guy just grins. He said, "Well, we'll give it a, our best shot, you know. Figured it'd be about six hundred bucks." So at the end of the year of furlough, the, the, this church is in a finance uh, campaign and everybody's asked to <coughs> sacrifice and yeah, which is the point I mean that is the point that's okay to say will you sacrifice that's, that's exactly the point of Christian living and uh, um, so this the family gets together and they pray about it and they're going to really try out of their support to send back $25 a month that's going to really hurt them but they want to do it they love these people they love this church they, they watch what God has done and so that, that morning, uh, people are getting up and they, they, they're kind of saying what God has laid on their heart. And this lady gets up and, and she says, <coughs> she says, uh, you know, our family really prayed about this and we're going we're gonna to give $25 a month. But she said, I really think sacrifice needs to be personal. And so I've always wanted this dishwasher. And we saved up the 600 bucks, And so... I'm going to give the 600 bucks. But, she said, now I want to tell you one more thing. She said, I know this congregation. I know how you love and I know how you give. And I know as soon as I get down and start out that door, somebody's going to come over to me and say, don't worry about it. We're going to send you a dishwasher. She said, don't you dare do that. Listen to these words. She said, don't take... Where are you going, honey? Oh, you're going over there. Okay, good. I, I just didn't want him lost. just didn't want him lost. <clears throat> don't you take my sacrifice away from me. She said, I want <laughs> I love this, to every day stand at the sink 
in Santiago, Chile, and think of the people I love while I'm washing the dishes and how grateful I am for you. Don't take my sacrifice away from me. How many of us aspire to that kind of faith? How many of us know the depth of that kind of love and that kind of life? I pray that kind of faith for us all. Pray with me. Dear God, we have been so conditioned to profit. We have been so conditioned to think that a blessing is what we get instead of what we give. We have been so conditioned to want to be loved more than we love, to want to receive more than we give. Oh God, teach us that the only cure for isolation is giving. And the only cure for selfishness is sacrifice. Let us live the life of Jesus and lay down our lives for the brethren. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. Let me remind you that we have a prayer team over here that would love to pray with you. If you don't have a personal relationship with God, they would love to lead you into that personal relationship. You can know Him personally. You can have the mind and the heart of Christ. Or anyone who has a personal need, who just wants to stand with a brother or sister, they would love to do that with you. Now I'm going to do the benediction from the back again, because I've got to get near that table back there. The benediction this week also comes from 1 Peter, only it's not 1 Peter 1.8 this time. It's 1 Peter 2.21. And it says this, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Think about that. Amen.